What's the first thing they do when you check into a hotel? They swipe your credit card. Isn't it strange that when a patient checks into a hospital or visits your office, they run a tab? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Wagner. Dr. Wagner is the Chief Medical Officer of Accretive Health in Chicago, Illinois, a company whose clinical compliance program results in more accurate classification of emergency department patients. Prior to joining Accretive Health, Dr. Wagner was medical director of a large multi-hospital emergency medicine organization. He is board certified by the American Board of Emergency Medicine and a fellow of the American College of Emergency Physicians. Today we are discussing the revenue cycle, or bluntly, how can you be sure you get paid at the end of the month? Hi, Dr. Wagner. It's great of you to join us at the Clinician's Roundtable. Dr. Rudenberg, thanks so much for having me today, and I'm happy to be here. I think I have some concept of a revenue cycle because I run a private medical practice, but it's certainly nothing that was ever taught to me in medical school or during my residency. What is it, and why do doctors need to know something about it? Yeah, revenue cycle is kind of new terminology for physicians. It's been around for a little while. You know, now our hospitals all have revenue cycle managers and revenue cycle directors and revenue integrity leadership and patient financial services and all these little acronyms that we're not quite sure what they are. But revenue cycle really is just a process by which charges are generated and payments are collected within an organization. For example, in hospitals, this process involves things like determining financial responsibility, documenting charges for services provided to patients, and collecting payments from patients, third-party payers, and or charity organizations. And as the doctor, I mean, we just kind of work there. Why do we need to know something about this? It's very important that we know something about this because our longevity is built around our hospitals surviving. Uh, as we move into the next phase of governmental reimbursement for healthcare, it's going to start to change where our reimbursement, primarily for Medicare, is going to be in one lump sum to the hospitals. So what's going on now is the government has created these things called MACs, or Medicare Administrative Contractors. They're going to replace what we know as the FI, or the Fiscal Intermediary. They're being created to create a bundled single A and B payment to the hospital for DRGs for Medicare. That single payment will go to the hospital, and the hospital will distribute that payment between the physicians who took care of the patients, the B payment, and the A payment for the hospital itself. Now, the single payment, is that based on a DRG, or is it going to be based on various services and charges that the patient receives during the hospitalization? Medicare's idea is to build it into a single sort of payment. They think they're going to continue it as a DRG, although they're not quite sure. But the single payment system is on the way, and the creation of the max is the first thing. And so for us to survive, both as a significant player within our hospitals, not just clinically, but also administratively, as well as financially, we need to know the process that's being built around us. Why is it such a complicated process? I mean, what makes the hospital's revenue cycle, say, so much more complicated than that of a business? Well, the hospital's revenue cycle is, consists of 30 different touch points. So although there's really just three pieces of it, the front end, the middle, and the back end, within that, there are multiple different areas, including scheduling, pre-registration, registration, emergency department, charge control, charge masters, health information management, billing, cashiering, follow-up. It just goes on and on and on. And within each of those processes is multiple sub-processes. It all sort of is built around the complexities of hospital size, as well as the complexities of the third-party payer system. But if it comes down to a DRG, why does that really matter? I mean, you, know, you come in with diagnosis X and you're going to get a lump sum payment of Y. doesn't sound like Medicare really cares what you do in between, and you're not going to get any more money for it. 
Well, at this point, your DRG is also built around your CPT coding. So if you don't have the right number of CPT codes and what's called HixPix codes built around that DRG, you're not going to be able to support that. What happens for physicians is that the DRG is really based on medical necessity, especially with the new medical severity DRGs. I don't know if you know much about those. Is that the old DRG system is being supplanted with a newer, more complex severity-based DRG. And so what happens is if a physician documents, let's use CHF, for example, they document congestive heart failure, and that's just a single diagnosis. But if they document uh, acute decompensated systolic congestive heart failure, the payment's about $4,000 different for the hospital, although the physician gets the same reimbursement right now. So documentation is going to become a key word. Now, do we need technology for that, the electronic record, or are there things that doctors need to take a Corsin, for instance. A lot of hospitals right now are supplying the physicians uh, with documentation experts. So one of the new trends and one of the parts of the revenue cycle is the health information management portion that's in the middle. And that's part of the charting, documentation, billing, and coding portion. And it's very important that we document correctly. And so the hospitals have taken upon themselves to begin to educate the physicians. They'll have a bunch of lunch and brunches or breakfast to try to teach the physicians how to document well so the hospitals get reimbursed. In addition, they've trained nurses or coders who will be on the floor helping the physicians to point out what's going on with the patients so they can document more fully. What happens is, though, is that we have no vested financial interest at this point in documenting correctly. The financial interest is for our hospitals, not for our outpatient E&M codes. I'd like to come back to that in just a minute because that's a subject warm to my heart. But pause to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Robert Wagner. We're discussing a doctor's role in the revenue cycle. So do you see a point where that the physician's share of the compensation, is there something that will incentivize a physician to do this better? It's very interesting. One of the large developments that we're seeing in the healthcare industry is these pay-for-performance incentives. A lot of them are built around quality measures, and I think that's very important. In our country, we do what we consider episodic care. So we're the most expensive healthcare system in the world. We're way higher than anything else. We spend about 16% of our gross domestic product is in healthcare. We have 47 million uninsured patients, and for each individual, we spend over $6,000 per individual, which is way higher than the next closest country. The reason is, is that we treat patients episodically. The pay-for-performance incentives are based on disease prevention and health maintenance, so basically quality core measures, things that we can do to keep our patients out of the hospital to take care of them better. Does some of this apply to private practice as well? Yes, I think it definitely does. I think as we move forward, there's going to be a closer relationship between the hospital inpatients and the outpatients, and those are going to be bundled. So whatever you put in the hospital, whatever your patients kind of drift into the hospital or get sick enough to be hospitalized, that's going to be a part of your reimbursement. As well, I think that the revenue cycle is part of your practice as well. It's very important that a lot of companies out there now are built just to manage revenue cycle because there's what they call leakage. There's money that kind of leaks out when you don't get co-pays correctly, when you don't look for solutions for your self-pay payers, when you don't pre-register them correctly, make sure that you're covered for your national coverage and local coverage determinations for procedures that you're going to do, whether they be done in the office or as an outpatient. Are there any numbers in terms of what percentage of the actual health care dollars actually collected? Usually what we're finding is somewhere between 80, high 80s and low 90 percentage of what's available to you, you actually collect. How expensive is it to collect that money? 
Well, you can leave a large amount of dollars on the table. So, you know, for a couple of hundred million dollar hospital system, if you leave somewhere between 20 and 30 million dollars on the table, that should be reimbursed to you. It's a large percent of your revenue. I mean, I read in an article that at Emory University, they say it cost them seven and a half percent of their billings to actually collect the money. It's not all about collections. The reason that's so high is because on the back end, there's both Medicare and Medicare now with the revenue audit contractors, Medicaid, as well as the managed Medicare, managed Medicaid and the commercial payers are denying so many charts. So if you don't get your medical necessity correct in the front end, if you don't pre-register your patients correctly, if you don't document correctly, you're going to get a denial on the back end. And that's why it costs so much to bill, because you're spending so much to manage your denial process. If you were talking to a medical school dean or a residency program director, what would you tell them that they need to do now to basically teach their doctors to do this process correctly? I would tell them that as physicians, we've abdicated control of the revenue cycle within our hospitals. The hospital has always been the refuge of the physicians. It's always been where we send our patients when they're sick, where they get taken care of, not just in our offices, but also in the hospitals. And what's happened as time goes on is we've abdicated control of anything that happens in the hospital to administrators. And so if you look to the C-suite, to where the carpet is, where we never go, there's tons of administrators that we've never seen that we don't know what they do. We didn't even know what the revenue cycle was. What I would tell them is to learn what's going on in your hospitals, learn what's going on in your systems, learn where the money flows in and out. Because in reality, it's clinical financial services. I mean, what we do is what the hospital gets paid for. We need to take credit. We need to be involved with what's going on in healthcare on a national level. Rather than abdicating it to administrators and politicians, we as physicians need to be fully vested in our practice. Is that going to happen without any kind of an organization? I just don't see individual doctors having either the clout or probably the motivation to do something like that. I think they'll feel overwhelmed by going up against Big Brother. You know, I don't think there's anything to be overwhelmed about. It's part of who we are. All we need to do is just step up. I think if we ingrain that in our medical students and our residents as we're moving forward, I remember in my residency, I'm emergency medicine residency trained, is that we learn very, very careful about how to code, how to document, how to chart to maximize our reimbursement for us for the E&M code. We didn't learn anything about how to document correctly and place things correctly and not write rule out on the chart, things like that that would improve hospital reimbursement and our marriage to the hospital. So we've basically pushed ourselves away and separated ourselves more and more from the environment where we spend a fairly significant amount of our time. A lot of physicians are hospital-based, ER, radiology, pathology, anesthesia, you know, General surgery, yes. Some of the other subspecialties, no. But we're separating ourselves from the hospital system. And the more we separate ourselves out from that, the more difficult it's going to be. So organizations like our local and state organizations, the AMA, are starting a little bit more to get involved, especially as we see reimbursements being tied together. But still, I'm focusing on the fact that you talked about the doctors taking control. Are we going to really take control from the administrators I just don't see that there's enough organizational power amongst physicians where we're really going to take control. I just see that, I mean, you know, whatever they give us, we'll take. I see us more as partners. We need to work together. They have an expertise that we don't have. They know how to do certain things. They know how to build. They know how to work within this environment. But we're significant players in this. Remember that the DRG is based on a lot on our documentation. What we write and what we do is based on how we get reimbursed. When there are denials, they're based on what we wrote and what often what we didn't write and what we were not involved in. 
as we become more involved in this process, pay for performance incentives and more involved in the process, we can partner with our hospitals to create what I call clinical financial services. That is a marriage of clinical, what we do on a clinical standpoint, with financial. Rather than there be such a separation between what we do and how the hospital gets paid, it's actually a marriage of what we do and how the hospital gets paid. And we have a vested interest in it as well. I'd like to thank Dr. Robert Wagner, who's been my guest. We've been discussing what you need to know about the healthcare revenue cycle. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. Please visit us at ReachMD.com and explore our on-demand and podcast features, which gives you access to our entire program library. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health. I am Dr. Barbara Oakley with Oakland University in Rochester, Michigan, and you are listening to the first national radio channel created specifically for medical professionals, ReachMD XM 157.